You're listening to the Rural Advancement Podcast. Rural Advancement provides resources to empower, equip, and encourage rural pastors and churches. Join our community by visiting us at ruraladvancement.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Rural Advancement. This is the podcast that is by rural leaders and for rural leaders. It is our goal every single week, week in and week out, to bring you content that is not just spoken to the rural church, but is spoken by people who get it, people who have lived, worked, and ministered in small, out-of-the-way places, and people who know the value of the work that God does there. I am your host, Joe Epley, and I am super excited for our conversation today. In just a minute, we're going to hear from Pastor Matt Bumgardner. And uh, I was just really pumped to get to know him. We actually work in a similar role in, in a similar tribe, the Assemblies of God. And as I was talking to him and getting to know him at a conference, he casually opens up about uh, doing his PhD in rural revitalization, as if that's something you casually open up about. And uh, and I was super pumped to uh, visit with him and hear his story and kind of glean some insights. And so uh, for today, I just want to say, Pastor Matt, how you doing, man? Yeah, doing great. So excited to be here. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I've been looking forward to this since our conversation uh, last week and excited to be here and to share and talk about something that uh, is near and dear to my heart. I'm super passionate about and uh, hopefully uh, resonates with some other people that are passionate about the same topic and it maybe uh, for a few people out there, ignite a spark of passion in their heart and their mind for rural America and uh rural church revitalization. Yeah. So super pumped. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Well, good. And we're, we're glad to dive into a conversation too. I, uh, and we'll get into it, but of course I talk about like, man, you know, it, it is cool when we plant churches in rural places, but it's also cool when you walk in and you get to like see something become what it was and even go beyond it. Like it's revitalization is so cool. And the people working in rural are uh, few and far between, just like the people, you know, doing rural ministry. So uh, the first thing we're going to do is just kind of walk through your story. Give us a five-minute flyover, if you will. Um, describe your background in ministry. Tell us where you've been, what you've done, and kind of your connection to the Royal Church. Yeah, so I uh, grew up as a pastor's kid, and uh, at age 10, my parents became missionaries in Equatorial Guinea, Africa. It's the only mm-hmm. Spanish-speaking country in Africa. And Wow, uh, I never would have known that. Crazy place, like uh, of all of all the places in the world to speak Spanish, like this little bitty tiny country, the size of the state of Connecticut <laughs> uh, is the whole country. Uh, but uh, yeah, this is the only Spanish speaking country in Africa. And my dad planted churches across the country on the mainland. There's an island section of the, of the country and then a, the mainland section of the country, kind of sandwiched between Cameroon and Gabon, right on the equator. And uh, so that was my early life was planting churches and starting churches where there weren't any, um, kind of breathing life into uh, new new works. When I was 17, I graduated, moved back stateside. Wasn't really feeling like I, I wanted to pursue like the traditional um, sense of ministry. I really thought working with youth, but not as a youth pastor, maybe in a counseling um, standpoint. So I started pursuing that and just couldn't escape like the reality that God was calling me to ministry in a more tradi- traditional sense. And sure. um, so began to pursue that call on my life. Our, our first youth pastor position was a Spanish speaking church. Um, all the adults spoke Spanish. None of the kids did. The families did not want them to speak Spanish. They didn't want them to have an accent. And so they needed a youth pastor that could talk to the parents, but also talk to the kids, huh. how they communicated at home to this day. I still am really not exactly for sure. Uh, but that was our first uh, ministry position we were youth pastors for 17 years and 
Uh, I thought I was going to be the next Jeannie Mayo. Uh, she's <laughs> Gotta love that. been a lifelong youth ministry uh, specialist and guru, just incredible uh, leader and mentor in my life. And always admired that, looked up to it. Plus, I just thought, like, why would I want to leave youth ministry and be a lead pastor, a senior pastor? Like, these parents screwed up these kids. Like, why would I, why would I yeah, want to? Yeah, sounds boring, really. I mean, also, you're just like, this is too much, you know? <laughs> so that was kind of my my thought process. But uh, several of the uh, mentors and leaders that I had in my life continually kept speaking into my life. Not that uh, God's going to call you to real ministry or you're going to grow up and be <laughs> a, a real a real pastor. Sure, sure. But uh, just continually spoke that, hey, there's something else. There's something more. And you have the the giftings and the talents to to lead pastor. And we see that in your future. And we began to work with a, a campus that our church had planted in a movie theater. And during the po- course of that process, just really felt our heart begin to shift. Not to a like, hey, we want to get out of youth ministry immediately. But like more of like, okay, guy, whatever it is that you're calling us to. Which that was always the posture, the sincere right. posture of our heart. But just even more so of like, okay, maybe, maybe guys, you are speaking and we are willing to listen, go wherever you have us to go. And so we transitioned out of youth ministry into uh, lead pastor role. And that led us to Laramie, Wyoming, super far from everything that I had known, uh, which was Texas. At that point, my parents were South Texas missionaries and youth pastor in North Texas for a large portion of my life. North Texas in our denomination and tribe is kind of the largest uh, network of churches that exists um, at the time over 600 churches that were oh, a part of network large churches we were at a church of about 1200 and god called us to the wyoming ministry network of the assemblies of god which just so happens to be the smallest network of churches in our tribe and yeah. that the sunday we tried out had 12 people so large district small district 1212 like it's just a a huge change, but we knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, like this is where God was calling us to be and to go. We had other options. We had churches in Texas that really, really wanted us to come, Oklahoma, Arkansas, just wherever. And our heart was always like, we want to go wherever God would, would call us to go. It's the missionary in me. I had friends that were like, I don't want to leave the Dallas Metroplex. I don't want to leave Houston, whatever. And we were just like, God, wherever you want us to go. Sure. That's where we'll go. I'm pretty sure my wife thought when she married me that we were going to be missionaries in some far remote place. And so like, she's like, Wyoming's great. It's still in the Yeah, and the city of Wyoming, which is its <laughs> own rugged missionary context. So well, we did have a guest speaker come speak at our church this last weekend. And he traveling here in February in the winter, sent me a text message as he was like stuck in ice and all kinds of stuff. He's like, mm-hmm. did move back to the mission field. Like, this is crazy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's a Siberia. It's uh, certainly so a different uh, culture than what we were used to, but yeah, uh, man, I, growing up in Africa, I, w- I was used to small remote places and yeah. planting churches and certainly the tribe that we're a part of and a lot of places. I think the church as a whole has put a lot of emphasis over the last 10 to 15 years on church planting and rightfully so. It, it's not uh, one or the other, but um, over the last eight years of being in Laramie, being a part of the Wyoming Ministry Network, seeing the need that exists in rural America for churches and for ministry um, has really shifted my heart and it's become a passion for me of getting the church revitalized and breathing life into churches that have been forgotten and neglected and overlooked and are not on the cover of magazines. Um, But there's hundreds 
there's thousands, there's tens of thousands of people in these areas that it's not that they don't have their particular flavor of church. For some of them, there's not a thriving, active church that is an option for them. And, or there's a building and, and a handful of people, but there's just not been the leadership and the development of the ministry. Um, it's stuck in 50 years ago, 60 years ago. And um, there's a heart for, for that ministry in my life. And, and as I found, there's, there's a handful of people that really just have this passion and it's, it's growing and I'd love to see it continue to grow some more. And so God's done some incredible things in our church. I remember the night that we were needing to make a decision as to whether we were going to come or not. I was trying to give my wife the the cold, hard truth. I wasn't really trying to talk her out of it, but I was like, you just need to know what, what this involves. I, I've, sure. I lived in Africa. I knew some hard, you know, things. And, you know, so I was like, if, if we come to Laramie, Wyoming, and pastor this church, like it's going to be a good 10 years before we see anything healthy and good and positive. Like we're like, we're going to do 10 years of hard time before. Sure, <laughs> before we sure, sure. Place. And she was like, cool. Sounds great. Let's start, you know, let's do it. Good. And, uh, you know, and the reality is that, that, uh, that was our mindset. We wanted to have a long-term approach. That's what we told the church. Like if we come, our kids are graduating from the high school, uh, well, you might bury us up in that cemetery up there. I don't know, but we're coming not to try it out and see if it works, but we're making a commitment to you and to this community that God's calling us to to pastor and to be a part of. And, um, and so we moved here and God has been so good. Uh, we haven't even been here 10 years yet. And God, you know, even just from early weeks, months into it, we just began to see um, God do and some incredible things and to have a front row seat to see what God has done in a little church of 12 uh, people. Um, it's just been incredible and we love it. And uh, we're not, uh, we haven't arrived at any level of anything, but what has happened is birthed within us. Um, really the the vision that um, God's not done with what he wants to do in some of these churches. We're a part of a 90 year old church and the past is not the best days of that church. The best days are not behind it, but ahead of it. And we're excited to see what what that does and where it goes. Uh, I felt as I was walking the streets of Laramie early on that God gave me a word that there's words spoken, uh, prophetic words spoken over the church in Laramie that God had yet to fulfill and his word does not return void. And I, I just believe that that's not only true for New Life Assembly of God in Laramie, Wyoming, but that's true for so many churches in remote and seemingly forgotten, seemingly insignificant places but I just, I just believe these are not forgotten by God and they're not insignificant sure. to him. If he's willing to spare Sodom and Gomorrah over a handful of people, like what is he willing to do for a, a remote uh, place in Wyoming or Montana or wherever that place may be for a uh, hundred people, for a thousand people, for 8,000 people. Like sure. I, I, just, I believe that God's got a uh, a plan and he, he wants to see his church advance in those places. Yeah. Well, so so here's the cool part. So obviously your heart even shines through as you tell your story. But let's let's dive into it a little bit because saying I'm a fan of church revitalization and then writing a PhD about church revitalization are two very different commitment levels. Yeah. Um, I remember because I also at some point would love to get a PhD on rural longevity and like we we have a similar heartbeat there. But I would like ask friends who are like in the PhD journey. They're like, yeah, it's awful. If you can do anything else, you should do something else. Like if you care, just even not enough, just don't don't try it. You know, and so what takes, what kind of drew to this conversation? And you've shared a little bit of that heart, but really like 
why did you go this far with it? Like, why pursue a PhD in church, you know, rural church revitalization? My wife asks me that all the time. Like, why are you doing <laughs> your education? And for me, I'm just one of those weird people that if if school was free and time was uh, unlimited, I would be in school forever because I just love uh, to learn and to grow. And man, I can't stand like uh, Texas state history or uh, algebra or any of that stuff. But like the great thing about this level is that stuff's far behind you. And the yeah. things you're studying are the, the passions that you have. And so for me to be able to uh, gather with some like-minded people and even in some pretty generic and and non-specific classes, just to be able to sharpen my uh, skills for what God's calling me to. And then, you know, as we dig into some more, more, uh, you know, uh, specific classes that, that are geared towards some of those things, it's just, uh, it's exciting for me to, uh, to pursue that and to, to continue to study. So. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, when do you think, when do you think that heart kind of became full bloom? Because obviously again, caring about the rural church, great, but like, was it your experience in Laramie that made you just go, man, I don't just want to revitalize this church. I want to contribute to the conversation. Yeah. As a pastor that had never pastored in a rural setting and, and, you know, your hardcore rural people are going to be listening to this podcast and they're going to say, Laramie, Wyoming. Oh, 35,000 people like you don't yeah. qualify. You're there's even... certain, here's the thing. There's certain letters that happen after the town you're lived in that like just default. Like if anyone says I'm from Kansas, but we're not rural. I'm like, mm, I don't know. You know, like if you're from Wyoming, yeah. and you're not rural. Like I just, it's just, it feels like you get a pass. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's the thing. We, we're in a college town. And so there's moments where, you know, we have those 35,000 people in town and then there's other moments where the school's out and we're down to 15,000 people, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, and, and, and our church is three miles outside of town. And certainly there's, there's uh, some nice benefits to living in Laramie, a college town that you don't find in all places in rural America, but yet there's families that live on ranches and, um, and are in that. So, you know, whatever, however you want to take my, my qualification of actual rural oh, stuff. Oh yeah, no worries there. But, uh, you know, I also get a, a view into churches across the 35 Assembly of God churches across the state of Wyoming and, and what that's like. But as a pastor that's new to this setting and context, I began to look for resources. How can I better sharpen myself and, and be a better rural pastor and, and leader in our church and across our state? And I began to find very limited resources. There's just not a lot there are some things, but there's not a lot out there. Uh, some Baptist circles have really put some emphasis in recent years into uh, the rural church and especially into the topic of revitalization. But I began to look at like, where's the spirit filled resources? Where sure. are uh, the things that really would speak to my my context and my uh, my background and the, the style of church that we lead? And there's just not a lot that's in existence. There's a lot on church planning. Like I said, we put a lot of emphasis into that as have a lot of other people. And there's some similarities in church planting and revitalization. I have a, my college roommate uh, from my undergrad studies. He is planting a church in uh, in rural Virginia. So he and I talk, compare notes, you know, different things like that. A part of uh, CMN, Church Multiplication Network, and their events and resources that they do and, and other different circles like that. Uh, but there's just so limited resources that's available that were really geared towards what what I was wanting to do and that that would equip me as the pastor that God's called me to be in our setting that uh 
I, I just felt like, man, somebody needs to do this in our tribes. Yeah. Somebody needs to. It's uh, very classic to do the whole uh, see a need, fill a need. It's very ingenuitive. It's very like, yeah, we got to, somebody's got to do it. You know, it's just. Absolutely. And so that's really the, what birthed it for me is like, Hey, uh, you know, we, we need, we need more of this. The, the, yeah. the church as a, as a whole needs more of this. And, and then specifically for, uh, for our tribe, I think that's just, it's just an area that's lacking and I'd love to see sure. more. And if God ever uses that in a larger context beyond my, you know, local ministry and setting, that's great. If I can help uh, another pastor friend or two, that's awesome. If it, if it's more than that, that's great. But I just um, from the standpoint of preparing myself and helping as many others as I can, uh, want to contribute to that conversation. So, cool. Well, uh, let's dive into some of it. These next, you know, several questions we're going to go over are really just kind of picking your brain, saying, "Hey, you know, you, you read some stuff, you've done some stuff," and so. Um, let's talk church planting versus church revitalization, because I think if someone's coming into a rural context or maybe they're living in a rural context, um, this can be a tough conversation. You know, uh, when does a pastor of a small church know like, hey, um, this church is probably destined to die and get a replant? Or when is it the right time to bring in someone to revitalize? And so, you know, is there a time where you should do one and not the other in a community or like, like, you know, how do we how do we figure out that balance, you know? Sure. Absolutely. I was talking to another pastor friend of mine recently, and he's uh, in, in a similar situation that we're in, that we walked into when we moved to, to Laramie, but his church had about 30 people. Um, and he just, you know, he's walking through that same situation. I told him what God had done in our context. He's like, yeah, I don't think that's what God's going to do in this one. I think it, we're at the end of the road for this. I think this one wow. needs to close and, and relaunch at a later time. It just, you know, there's so, such deep ingrained, and that's just a question that you can have of like, what is the right approach for this? And I think it's not a one size fits all in sure. terms of, of what is needed. There's uh, uh, there's churches and, and a friend of mine here in Laramie, a Nazarene pastor, about the same time that we were, um, you know, coming here, he he moved to Laramie as well, and their church was very similar state. Uh, just a handful of people and they did decide to close and relaunch. And, uh, and now God's doing some incredible things through that relaunch effort um, on the same kind of timeline that we we've been on about seven to eight years. Uh, and, uh, and so it's exciting to see what God's done through that process. And yet ours was very much of walking through uh, the history of a 90 year old church and, uh, the one that had been split and joined back together. And there's all the things that came with that, but really walking through that and saying, Hey, you know, what? we don't want to, we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We don't want to start completely over. There's some incredible things that God has done in the history of this church. We want to honor those things. There's also been some seasons that have not been healthy and, uh, and you know, we're not going to spend a lot of time dwelling on those seasons, but we just believe that God's not done, that there's more that he wants to do. And, there's words that he's spoken that have not yet been fulfilled. We want to be a part of that process and moving forward. And so um, I think those are something that that rural leaders have to uh, wrestle with. What's the right approach moving forward? And, I'm, and, and I'm, I'm not here to say what that right approach is. I think that is something that God will reveal to you and show to you in the process. But just the uh, the idea that there's several approaches that can work. There's some large churches that uh, would love to partner with some struggling churches to help come alongside them as a parent and, and help them get back up on their feet. And that's certainly a route that a lot of churches can take. Uh, there's the the relaunch of, you know, saying, hey, we're going to we're going to close down. We're going to really uh 
clean up some buildings. We're going to repair some reputations and we're going to relaunch this thing uh, in a new season. But yet, you know, there's still the benefit of having been a church and some of the things that come with that, as opposed to just a church plant uh, in and of itself. There's uh, partnership options. There's uh, revitalization process that says we're going to just we're going to keep going, but we we know that there's some things that need to change. So um, you can kind of approach this like an episode of Kitchen Nightmares. If yeah. uh, if there was a Church Nightmares show, you walk sure. through some of those th- same things and you try to figure out what is it that's led us to a place of being um, in this situation that we're in, where uh, we're not a growing, thriving church that represents the heart of God, reaching lost people and discipling them and the spiritual community that God desires for the church to be. Uh, and how do we get back to that place? And whatever that process looks like uh, can result in something beautiful, but they're not all the same. There's there's often uh, a lot of differences in the journey. So. Yeah. I mean, if, if I had a couple words I pull out of there as I'm listening to you, it feels like maybe prayer and just asking good questions. You know, it seems like, like as a pastor, we got to have our pulse a little bit going, okay, how are we doing? And, and, what got us here? And do we feel like we're still, yeah, meeting those conditions of, of trying to grow and thrive and build the kingdom of God? And um, I love that. And taking it to prayer, man, really cool. Oswald Chambers in his uh, all-time classic book, My Utmost for His Highest, he says this, that I, has really been yeah. something for me that speaks to that same question. It says, if there's stagnation spiritually, never allow it to go on, but get in God's presence and find out the reason for it. And I think that's a wow. great personal thing. But I also think that's uh, when, in terms of leadership of of God's church, um, really getting in His presence, saying, "How did we end up where we are? How how did we get so far off track? Likely, it happened a little bit at a time, just slowly veering off off the course and uh, and trying to figure out how to get back." So that's a been a great thing for me. So yeah, no, I love that quote too. That's awesome. Get in the presence of God, figure it out. Well, hey, this next question, uh, you know, I always show my bias a little bit, but this is probably my favorite one, um, because as we were talking in preparation for this podcast, you did mention specifically not to be afraid of like ghosts from the church's past, if you will. You know, we probably all can uh, conjure up, uh, you know, an image of the Christmas. Uh, what's the, what's the one? Gosh, Scrooge and the Three Ghosts. Why am I blanking? Ghost the, of Christmas uh, yeah. Yes, yeah. And it's got the ghost of Christmas past and, you, you know, it's the whole thing. And I think we are, we're naturally scared of, um, you know, cause there's always the positive seasons. I remember when the church was built by faith and no one said we could do it. And then we, you know, we did it and, and et cetera. And, and, um, but how, how can a pastor navigate? They're coming in, maybe they're trying to revitalize, bring fresh life. And how do they navigate through negative church history? Well, you know, there's a history here. There's some bad elements, things that have happened, people who are hurt. How do they navigate through that? Well, yeah. When we arrived at, at New Life Assembly of God in Laramie, our first Sunday when we walked in and we're kind of given the tour, uh, the tour included um, the furniture um, descriptions. And it was like this table belonged to First Assembly of God uh, before we came together. And this cross on the wall belonged to Glad Tidings Assembly of God and, uh, you know, all this kind of stuff. And then you can start looking in, in the history of the leadership and we didn't have, you know, some major scandals, but there were some poor, poor leadership, um, examples and just some moments that uh, were some dark chapters as a result of, of mismanagement and, and just really some, some decisions that weren't, uh, weren't the right decisions, Um, and you can, it's easy to second guess from this perspective, why, you know, all those things were made. I'm sure people were trying to make the best decisions in the moment. 
but what we chose to do was, you know, we realized that God wanted to bring healing to his church. It couldn't, we couldn't move forward while we were still trying to figure out, you know, which, which previous church the furniture belonged to. Um, and so it was just casting a vision of, you know, it, it's been a long journey and it's been a really long uh, process that's gotten us to this point. And God's got more that he wants to do if we'll move forward, but we've got to allow some of those hurts of the past to heal and also realize that just because there have been some dark and painful chapters doesn't mean the entire history has been. There's been some incredible things that have happened. So let's celebrate some of those things as we move forward, believing that, yes, there's been some great moments behind us, but there's some even better ones ahead of us if we can be sensitive to what the Lord wants to speak to us and how he wants to use us. And so that's a, a, a challenging process to walk through, but you're just ministering to people and you're healing some of those hurts and you're, you're having a, a vision for a brighter tomorrow than, uh, than even what's happening today and trying to, to constantly share that vision and, and celebrate the wins. I think one of the best things that we did when we first came was uh, to just celebrate any and every small win that we could possibly find to celebrate. And so the church hadn't baptized anybody in years. And so, oh, wow. Hey, every month to six weeks, we're going to have a celebration Sunday. And on this Sunday, anybody that wants to get baptized is going to be able to get baptized. Anyone that wants to become a member of new life church is going to become a member. Anyone that wants to have a child dedicated, we're going to do all of that on that day and celebrate what God's doing in the church. We're going to give, bring some vision and some direction and some updates of what he's done since our last celebration Sunday. And we're going to have like eight or nine of these a year and it's going to be awesome. And so I began to pray, God, please help somebody <laughs> yeah. baptize, yeah. you know? And they're like, why would we have a baptism Sunday? No one's getting baptized. Who's going to get baptized? I'm like someone's going to get baptized. And it was incredible over that first year. We never had a celebration Sunday where we didn't have one of the three things happening. You just someone being baptized, becoming a member or dedicating a child. And often we had multiples of those things. And God began to just use that as a process to heal of like, look what, look what the Lord is doing. Look what he's, he's doing in his church. And, and we can uh, move forward and reach people. And um, our church was outside of town. And so it felt so disconnected. We began to find little ways to serve and connect to the community and, um, and be a part of the life of our town. And we just, we cast the vision that Laramie's a, a great place and an incredible community. And we want to be a part of what makes it the great community that it is. And so finding ways to do that, we got a grant for outreach and we bought a, a, a big grill trailer. We began to pull that up to the university on game days and grill some burgers and some hot dogs. Nice. And we didn't have a large budget, but we would take 40 bucks and we would grill up some hot dogs and give them away and wear some church t-shirts and uh, we weren't preaching at anybody. We weren't trying. The goal wasn't like in-depth discipleship. It was just to say, hey, there's a church here that loves you and, and we're a part of the community. And if we can ever serve you, then we'd love to do that. And here's a free hamburger. Here's a free hot dog. You know, come check out, you know, what's going on if you're looking for a church. And that began to do so many incredible things, not just for the people that ate a hot dog. In fact, it may have not done very much in terms of that, given away, you know, 20, 30 hot dogs. I don't know. Uh, we didn't have just a huge influx of people from that, but what it did in the hearts of our church people is they began to see like, Hey, we, we're a part and we're, we're a blessing and mm. we can minister to people outside of our, our walls that began to do some incredible things. And so that was huge, you know, for us celebrating some wins and getting outside the walls of the church and impacting our community. Yeah, no, that is, uh, that's some great stuff. Um, I, I find how, 
um, it's almost funny. Like uh, you watch a lot of the, you know, the dramatic sports movies or other kind of movies and, you know, maybe it's a race car driver has a big wreck or somebody who comes back from a rough energy injury. And, and there's always that scene, that dramatic scene in the movie where it's say, Hey, if you're going to move past the hurt, you just have to get back in the car. You got to just throw the ball again. You got to just, you know, move past the injury. And I love that um, in confronting our past, it's, it's mostly a look at the future to say, Hey, we're going to get back out there. We're going to prove that we can serve our community. We're going to prove that that God is still at work here. So that's uh that's really great wisdom. I love that. Uh, this next one is going to appeal to um, kind of your PhD journey specifically, uh, because as we all know, the moment you step into academia, it's just uh, reading, reading, reading is what it can feel like. And so uh, as we kind of close out our conversation today, talk through one of your favorite resources that you read on the subject so far of revitalization and why like you love it. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's talk about it. Yeah, there's a podcast and some book resources by Dr. Tom Rainier. Um uh, Revitalize and Replant podcast is the name of it. Oh, and, cool. We'll uh, include I, a link to that in the show notes for sure. Some great stuff there. Uh, lots of topic. It's It's been going on for several years. Uh, really practical stuff. But um, uh, Dr. Tom Rainier, he also has some books, The Autopsy of Deceased Church, some of those kinds of things, mm. and uh, began to read some of those resources and uh, and glean some of that because there's not much else that, that I found that was available that was really um what I found to, to start with, and he began to diagnose, you know, uh, dead and dying churches. And one of the quotes in that book that really resonated with me just blew me away is like, what does it say about the gospel if a church that's been dying and declining for decades suddenly comes roaring back to life? And mm. man, that that image of the power of the gospel, the power of the resurrection in the life of a church and the, the testimony that that is, you know, that just resonated with me in in a huge way, and uh, and we began to run with that on our celebration Sundays. Like, you know, this is what God's doing, and you know, it, it's easy when you have twelve people uh, to grow by a hundred percent, and it's it's not too hard to grow yeah. by a thousand percent. You know, you get you, you get to celebrate some of those things, but just tying that back to it's not just you know a number. It's not just um, you know that we we had you know, 30 people in church or 50 people in church, but man, this is a testimony uh, to the gospel. Um, and, and we began to find testimonies and share those. And, and uh, it was a huge thing. One example of, of that, that just really resonated with me from that book is one of the guys that, that early on got saved in our church and his family started being involved in our church. Uh, prior to that, he had been a gas man and he was called out to the church uh, to disconnect the gas at the church. And he, he was oh, not wow. a believer. He was not sympathetic to the cause, but he, he, it did like, it did hit him pretty hard when he, when he had to go turn off the, the gas for non-payment. He's like, what in the world is going on in this church that, yeah. they can't, you know, keep their gas on or whatever. And little did he know that, you know, five years after that or whatever, that that very church would be a tool that God would use to bring him to a knowledge of him. And, um, just some powerful things like that of like, Hey, you know what? There's, there's been some dark chapters in the life of our church, just like there's been some dark chapters in your life. And God wants to redeem all of that. And he wants to bring resurrection. He wants to bring new life to it. And ironically, our church is called new life. So it's, it's easy to lean into that. Uh, the joke that I've heard, you know, throughout my life is, you know, most of the time when a church is named new life, it's the furthest thing from true. Well, and, uh, well, I mean, we don't have to get into that one, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> and that certainly could have been true of our church. Like it was, you know, but we, we latched on to why did they pick that name for the church when they brought the two churches together? And they just said that they believe that, uh, 
that there was more that God wanted to do and breathe new life into our community. Like what a, what an awesome cause for existence to be able to experience the new life that God has for us and, and share that with a world that's in need. And so, yeah, resource wise, that was really uh, powerful to me early on. Uh, there's a few other, you know, resources that are out there. Um, but that, that one, if you're looking for a place to start, I would definitely say, um, look at that. There's also some, uh, the, the Northern Missouri district of the assemblies of God has a, uh, church revitalization, uh, training seminar for pastors that, oh, cool. uh, really good resources on that is around, uh, 2001 that they put that together. And I was able to find, um, some of that. Um, there's a book by Brian Croft called Biblical Church Revitalization, Solutions for Dying and Divided Churches, um, Reclaiming Glory and Revitalizing Dying Churches by Mark Clifton. Uh, some really good resources if you're looking for some of those. So those are ones that I've I've found so far and really have been helpful to me in my journey. Awesome. Well, uh, well, I just want to say as we bring it to a close, this has been a, a delightful conversation. And, and Pastor Matt, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. If I can be a blessing or a resource to anyone, feel free to share my information. I'd love to connect with anyone that has more questions or wants to connect further on that or just uh, watch the journey that God's doing. And we'd love to to do the same for anyone else walking through the same journey. Awesome. Well, yeah, well, we will definitely throw some of those resources as well as uh, Pastor Matt's email in the show notes. Uh, but once again, uh, from all of us at Real Advancement, we just want to say thank you. Uh, for tuning in. We're hoping that you have enjoyed the content this week. As always, it is our goal to speak right to where you're at, right to what you're doing, and to remind you that God sees you. He sees what you're doing. He's right in the middle of it. And uh, we want you to feel equipped and inspired and encouraged. And so for this week, I've been your host, Joe Epley. He has been Pastor Matt Bumgardner, and we will see you next week. Mm-hmm.